Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. This week, we've decided to talk about a subject that I think, I don't know about you, but when when we decided on it, I thought, yeah, yeah, that's easy. And it's just massive. It's massive. I have to admit, Heather, when you mentioned this subject, I thought, wow, that's massive. But hey-ho, Heather must know what she's talking about. (laughs) She clearly doesn't. No, clearly not. (laughs) I suggested in my wisdom that we looked at the oil industry. (laughs) Just a little industry. It, yeah, and and I was I was kind of thinking, well, you know, that has massive impact on pretty much the cost of everything. And then, of course, this week, then uh, Mr. Johnson has talked about us becoming the Saudi Arabia of of wind, and then you just realise that energy is just like immense. So, <laughs> what do you know about the oil industry? What did you know about the oil industry? Well, I know that my sister-in-law works in the oil industry, so bit of pressure on me here Um, but actually just today she shared some news which uh, is direct from the oil industry news Uh, it's hot off the press today Um, so I'll share that a little bit later but in order so that I I could feel that I wasn't letting my sister-in-law down I did a little bit of research and I looked on Investopedia and they did a really nice little article just in um updated March this year where they just really summarised in four short paragraphs uh, the oil and gas industry. I don't know if you saw it, Heather. No, I didn't. <laughs> if they can do it in four paragraphs, they'll take my hat off to you. I'll, I'll give it a quick go then. So you just happen to have chosen one of the largest sectors in the world. It generates an estimated $3.3 trillion in revenue every year. But it's broken down into three segments. Did you know that? Upstream, midstream and downstream. I I saw those terms and yeah, yeah. And I thought, okay, that doesn't (laughs) even sound like, well, anyway, carry on. Okay, this might help then. Upstream, also known as exploration and production, so E&P companies, they are the ones that find reservoirs and drill for oil and gas. Um, Midstream companies are responsible for the transportation from the wells to the refineries and downstream companies are the ones responsible for refining and the sale of the finished product. Okay, that kind of makes sense now. If you're thinking that the oil's in the ground, so it's coming up. Yeah, okay, going along and then going out again. Okay, I get that. So somebody's got to find it and drill it. Somebody then has to take it to where it's going and then somebody has to do something with it and sell it at the end. Yeah, okay, okay. All right. That, that that starts to make some sense. I needed to go and find out how much a barrel of oil was. So this is the price of crude oil. And what was quite interesting, so today, um, apparently it's about $41 per barrel. And a barrel is 159 litres, I think, um, compared with this time last year when a barrel was nearly $55. And so then I thought, okay, that's interesting. So that's it's gone down $15. So then I looked at April this year, and it was $17 a barrel. So this is right at the, you know, the sharp bit of of lockdown, compared with $68 in April last year. So 50, um, 
52, no, $51 less in April this year than April last year. And that's obviously to do with coronavirus because a lot of industry closed down. It's all about supply and demand, isn't it? Yeah, but I think um, from what I was reading that the industry was already in some trouble before um, the pandemic and this has just exacerbated the problem. And we've, we've talked a couple of times on the show about um, strategic changes that some of the big oil companies have already undertaken but were, had already got planned anyway, so this has just um, speeded them along their way. I read a really interesting article in the International Energy Agency website, IEA.org, and they were saying, this was back in April, so right at pretty much at the beginning of the pandemic, but they say that um, the oil world seen many shocks over the years, but none has hit the industry quite as, as much as what's happened with the pandemic, and that was just back in April. Um, but it's really interesting what they said is, what's going to happen after this is some existing production will will stop will grind to a halt there'll be sharp cuts in investment all the way through the supply chain refiners are going to come under huge pressure as well there's going to be massive strains on the countries that rely on that income and they named nigeria and iraq and uh, the collapse in oil prices will spill over into other parts of the energy sector the article was saying that the oil and gas companies are just started to grapple with the implications of energy transitions. And some of them are already moving, as we've mentioned in the show before, to more sustainable energy sources. And, th- and that's I mean, that's one of their their raison d'etre, isn't it? It's about reliability, affordability, climate goals, climate targets. I saw I saw a couple of graphs on that on that particular website and I was surprised, there was one in particular that was talking about usage of the different types of, of um, fuel. And I expected that when you looked at, um, so total energy supply by source, so it's got um, oil, coal, gas, biofuels, nuclear, hydro, wind, solar. And I was expecting, it goes from 1990 through to uh, 2019, 2018, I was expecting there to be a a decline, a very clear decline in some and an increase in others. And I didn't really see that. And I didn't really understand why. Um, That kind of confused me because I would have thought that wind and solar, although they are increasing, everything's increasing, usage is increasing just generally. And that seems to fly in the face of what I thought would be the case. So Mm. I was a bit confused by that. But I went to Offgem. Did you go to Offgem? I didn't, know. What did you find uh, at Offgem? Well, the only good, well, not the only good thing, I'm sure they're a fantastic organisation. <laughs> um, but um, uh, so I started looking at them and they were talking about, they, they were talking about the trends in energy prices. And I thought, okay, that's really helpful. That's, but I kept going back to this. There are so many different types of energy and I wanted to, to find out a bit more. So the IEA, uh, I can't remember what that stands for. International um, Energy Agency, isn't it? I just uh, that's the website that I went to. Right, right. Tell me what you what you liked about that website, if anything. Um, I just read the article. <laughs> okay, right. I'm very visual, and so there were these lovely images 
and it talked about each and it gave a description of each of the different technologies. So oh. like renewables, oil, nuclear, coal, electric vehicles, solar, um, carbon capture, capture, utilization and storage. So oh, it, that's that's the thing I want to talk about afterwards. Right. OK, so is this the thing with your with my sister-in-law? Yeah, that's okay. right. Okay, so so just in just to say that that started to divide things up, and and there are good explanations about what they all are, and visually so, represented um, as well. Yeah, as well, which I found really helpful. So tell me, come on, what's the thing with your sister? Okay, so presumably this um, article was embargoed until today because the the date and time on the um, article is one minute past midnight. <laughs> last Ooh. night so this is on a, a website um for energy voice leading the global energy conversation is its strap line um it's about the oil and gas authority oga for short awarding a carbon dioxide appraisal and storage license to any uk which is the company my sister-in-law works for it's a little bit complicated the gist of it is that I, I understood from my sister-in-law and, and um, if she listens back to this, she may put me right, and in which case I will inform the, the listeners next week. But essentially, they've got the sort of Liverpool Bay area that they're taking the oil reserves out of and they've created gaps, obviously, <laughs> where they took the oil from. And yeah. so... The, this plan, this license, is to capture carbon dioxide from um, industries that create a lot of carbon dioxide, for example, the cement industry, which my husband is involved in. Okay. <laughs> I've got a bit of a personal oh, interest in this license, yeah. <laughs> Do they cancel each other out then, maybe? <laughs> so um, any or whoever it is that gets the license, capture this CO2 and then store it in the space where the hydrocarbons came from, where the, where the oil came from, in the oil fields. That's my very simple interpretation of what they're doing here. So they're reusing, according to this article, existing infrastructure. So all the pipelines are there. Yeah. And they're using the depleted reservoirs, which presumably is the space, for significant carbon storage. Okay. And so this might be beyond your knowledge and expertise and it may be that you need to interview we need to interview your sister-in-law but why are they storing it there um because it's better than putting it out into the atmosphere i assume okay okay and yeah. it's part okay. of a transition uh, energy transition and decarbonization strategy of any which is the the company that extracts the oil so the, it, it's um it's not as good an explanation as if my sister-in-law did it, I'm pretty certain. But I was quite pleased to be able to present this news hot off the press. Brilliant timing when we decided to talk about the oil industry. Okay. You're listening to the business community. And this week in the other news section, I want to refer to an article that I read in um, Business Live from the end of last week, and it's about the winners of the Wales Startup Awards 2020. Massive long list of companies, and I had a little dig into some of them. Have you seen the list, Heather? Uh, I haven't studied it, no. no. I've got it up on screen now, but 
just uh, you've you've had a good look at it, I think. Uh, I haven't. I sort of dipped in and out of it. So um, I, I just went for the ones whose names appealed to me, if I'm perfectly honest. I obviously looked at the winner, the overall winner is a company called Project Blue, B-L-U, no E at the end. And that was founded in 2019. And what they do is they take um, plastic items, um, fishing nets uh, and leather waste and recycled clothes, and they turn them into pet products, such as dog beds, collars, leads and toys. Mm, that was okay. interesting and then I went a little bit further down the list and I looked at the winner of the fintech startup of the year I like a bit of fintech and the company that won this category is based in Cardiff and it's called Yoello I think Y-O-E-L-L-O Yoello and what they've done is created an appless mobile ordering solution for the hospitality industry so basically you, you can order from the hospitality with social distancing in place but it hasn't got an app i'm quite intrigued by that i didn't dig any further i presumably yeah i'm not quite sure actually and I, I would like to look into that in a little bit more detail and sort of anything that's appless to me seems out of date but clearly they win the mobile and emerging technologies um, award so clearly doing things without an app is the new app does that make sense yeah. <laughs> appless is the new app so because a few years ago everybody wanted an app for everything so it intrigued yeah. me that the solution is appless yeah, absolutely. The, one of the names that caught my eye was dropbearbeers.com. Oh, I might have noticed that too. Yes, I might have <laughs> But they're, um, they're non-alcoholic. Yeah, now this is a real thing that I'm into at the moment. It weights below half a percent. Um, so there is a tiny, weeny bit of alcohol. Um, bit. And it's a bit like um, the um brew dog beers that i've been enjoying so they do some low alcohol beers as well um but they're based in swansea yes that's it and they've got one that caught my eye is a yuzu pale ale oh uh, i love yuzu uh, juice um so i think that's probably quite nice i've never tried uh, yuzu but you've been to japan is that where you tried the yuzu juice that's where i tried it for the first time yeah fresh yuzu juice it was oh my gosh it was like heaven um off you can buy it now and, and use it for cooking off you know if you're doing sort of asian fusion cooking um and then i did discover that um you can get fever tree i think it is do a yuzu tonic water goes very nice with uh, japanese gin anyway i digress lovely well um let, let's stick with alcohol then because the rural startup caught my eye and that award went to the welsh wind distillery uh, it caught my eye for two reasons. One, it's a distillery that makes gin, whiskey, rum, and has got a licensed bar and events space and offers gin making and gin tasting experiences. But the reason it really caught my eye is because it's based in Tanagroes near to Aberporth. And we um, every year go on holiday to West Wales and drive past this building. It used to be a 1970s style pub. And now, apparently, it's a distillery, which I feel I need to visit. 
be rude not to. It would, wouldn't it? <laughs> enough, enough alcohol, though. I did look to see who'd won locally. So um, the NBAR Foundation won the award for North Wales, and that's a non-profit organisation whose vision is to re um, renovate something called the John Summers Clock Tower in Deeside, and they're looking to restore it to its former glory and turn it into a community space. So not all business really startups have to be um, profit-based um, businesses. This is a non-profit organisation building something for the community. And there's a real, there is a real mix. I mean, they've got a social enterprise startup, you know, the, the, the whole range, but a real mix of businesses. I thought it was yeah. quite a good list. A business based in Wrexham that won the Manufacturing Startup Award. And this company is called Cedar Tree Pods and they make glamping pods. In fact, they say they make unique glamping pods tailored to your exact requirements. Sounds very nice. And just one of the local-ish business is iVaps based in St. Asaph. I thought it was something to do with e-cigarettes, to be honest, but I looked, looked further. They, they won the Innovative Startup Award. And actually, this all went above my head a little bit, but did seem relevant to our topical discussion about the oil industry because um, iVaps have made a smart cartridge valve to revolutionise the pipeline industry through the digitisation of pipeline networks and connection to the industrial internet of things. And that's where I couldn't understand anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they won the Innovative Startups Award. Um, and just one last honourable mention to a company called Hollywood. I'm not dropping that H. It's um, a gentleman called Oliver that set up this business. And um, they do custom woodwork installations, graphics and signage. So um, they're based in Newport in Gwent, Hollywood. And their signage on their website is like Hollywood, but without the H at the beginning. It's very nice. Very nice website indeed. Very good. Very good. I haven't got anything quite as um, um, positive, maybe. I've, uh, I found a list that um, has been compiled by the World Economic Forum, and it's a survey about regional risks for doing business in 2020. Um, Zurich Insurance and Marshall McLennan companies uh, included in input of over 12,000 business leaders across 127 countries, and they were asked to determine the five global risks that they believe to be of most concern for doing business in their country within the next 10 years. And so these are the UK stats. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. We, it, and um, as you might expect, there are a couple of a couple of things that we can relate to that um, that might have snuck their way in. So last year, for example, the top risks in 2019 cyber attacks, data fraud or theft, failure of national governance, terrorist attacks, misuse of technologies. So, so, um, Pandemic GDPR wasn't in there in 2019. This, not in 2019, not a thing about a pandemic. 2020, cyber attacks are still at the top. Fiscal crises, Extreme weather events. You remember before we had COVID, we had some terrible floods that were absolutely um, ruining businesses. Number four, spread of infectious diseases. 
And number five, failure of climate change adaptation. So just in 12 months, although cyber attacks remain at the top, there's been a real shift in focus and concern for, um, for businesses moving forward. So, uh, and then um, they went on to look at um, amongst business staff, um, uh, uh, business executives, they are most concerned about unemployment, spread of infectious diseases, fiscal crises, cyber attacks, and profound social instability. And this is much more on a global scale. So, um, so the first list was was UK. Uh, the second list was was very much across all of the regions that they they interviewed people in. Uh, Did you say that that research was done by the insurance company Zurich? Uh, Zurich and um, Marsh and McLennan. Oh, so did at the end of this article highlighting all of the risks, did they then offer insurance to cover all of those risks? The, the chief risk officer from that company um, did give his comment on um, the fact that businesses need to reassess their priorities and think about, you know, what cover they need. And of course, I mean, it, it would be coming from from that angle. But uh, no, they don't they don't pitch for selling your business. They just. They're just telling you what you should be thinking about if you haven't already been thinking about it. So I suppose, yeah, I suppose they're, they're steering us towards uh, insurance cover. You cynic, you, you're such a cynic. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, on a slightly more positive note um, and, and, and going back to your story actually about um, the, the startups, there's a, I found an article on the BBC, CEO Secrets. And they were sharing a story of some graduates who launched, have launched startups in lockdown. And one um, was a, an organization where they have, it's three students, um, they knew, they realized that as new graduates, they're gonna to struggle to find work. So they decided to try and set up a business. So they started uh, pulling together boxes of, um, healthy nutritious snacks and and they basically um sold them to organizations some big organizations have taken up um take taken up and placed orders with them uh, and these boxes of snacks it's called snack cess they're gift boxes of healthy snacks for businesses to post to their employees who are working at home so it sounds a little bit like a graze box you know where you used to get graze boxes yeah. delivered to your office this seems to be a sort of, here's some healthy treats on us. Uh, they sold five boxes in July. Um, they sold 50 boxes in August. And they sold 800 boxes in September, turning over £9,000. Fair dues. That's pretty good. Um, i just say that when I'm working from home, the thing that I miss about the workplace more than anything is the coffee well, in the last few months um, in the in the office, we bought ourselves a new coffee maker. So it's one that grinds the beans and makes lovely fresh oh, coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I so miss it when I'm not in the office that if somebody could just deliver that coffee to me at home, I'd be very happy. <laughs> or maybe I should you just don't... buy a coffee machine for home. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what I'd do. That's... <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so it was just an interesting story. And, and the stats around that, um, 
almost 50% more businesses were created in June 2020 than in June 2019. Brilliant. Yeah, 81,000 business, 81, businesses registered uh, in July. That's, uh, that's the most registered in a month. You're listening to The Business Community, and this week, the re- in our review section, we've decided to look at the same thing. I mentioned a book to Tracy last week. Uh, I don't, I think we'd gone off air at the time, but it was a book that I was reading by a guy called Andrew Scott, and it was called Shifting Stories. Now, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that there's nothing that Tracy likes more than a good story. No, I she think likes- storytelling is, is a wonderful way of communicating and also a great way to um, to embed learning. For me personally, if I can learn about something as a story, I, I take it on board uh, much more easily than just learning a list of things or, or somebody talking at me. Engage well, me in a story. There we go. And, and that's certainly the premise of this book. But it goes a bit further than that. It, it, it talks about how if we if we reframe our story, it's, you know, the classic coaching um, um, model where reframe it and, and your perception of it will change. But if you can kind of rewrite your story, uh, it can be really, really powerful. And he talks about, you know, if we decide that, you know, life's rubbish you know, or I had a bad childhood or um, nobody likes me or whatever it might be. Uh, I've always struggled with. I'm no good at. That becomes our truth. And actually, if we can change the way that we look at that, uh, we, we, it gives us power. So he talks about um, he, talk, he talks about all sorts of things and he uses case studies uh, and as a book I just I've just found it really easy to read and I've I don't normally write in books I normally stick post-it notes in but I've gone through with a red pen and highlighted various bits that have just leapt out at me because I think they're really really powerful and they really get you thinking now you didn't get the book did you Tracy but did you go to the website I did and one thing I should say about getting the book is don't buy it from Amazon Oh no! No. Um, um, for some reason, the pricing on Amazon is in three figures. I don't know why that is. Um, But if you go to Andrew's own website, shiftingstories.uk, there are signed copies available on there for fourteen pounds plus postage and packaging. I think, Um, and I think that would be the best way um, for you to to go about getting the book. Yeah, and that's Um, what I did because I'm a cheapskate. Yeah. Yes. And I, having looked at the website and I've, I've looked all around Amazon, um, I, I want to buy this book. I feel like I need to own it. Now, I think the first thing I notice is it's not a self-help book. That's right, isn't it? It is aimed at managers, coaches, trainers, yes. consultants to help yes. other people rather yes. than the book being there to help them. Is that how it reads? Yeah, yeah, very much so. And that's where he use, he, he, he shares case studies and he shares approaches where he's applied the approach in a particular setting and how it's worked. So, yeah, it's very practical. That's really good, isn't it? And um, his website's nice. There's there's resources on there. He's got his own blog. There's a little video with him being interviewed. When I first saw the video, it looked like he was being interviewed on the BBC or something like that. The set that they used was was just like something off the BBC, but I don't think it was. I think it was a... um, 
a private interview that he'd done to promote the book. Is is that what you thought, Heather? Or yeah, yes. I and, I, and of course, these days, you know, it, it's it's relatively easy to make video content and to make it look like you are. Yeah, um, and I thought it looked really good. You know, it, yeah. it sold the book yeah. um, really well, and um, it, it gets positive reviews on Amazon as well. So it's a, obviously a highly thought of book. But yeah, having seen um, about how you use stories to construct your life and how they can actually then become self-fulfilling stories. Yeah. I can see how this is a, an incredibly powerful tool for coaches or, or even counsellors as well. I, th- I think there's a really wide range of people that this um, could assist with their work. It's a way of thinking and in, 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 a very, in very broad terms, there are three stages to um, what he calls the many story approach. So the first thing is if you have attachment to a story and it becomes your truth. So the first thing you need to do is try to loosen the grip on that. Try to lose some of that attachment. Stop accepting that as fact. Then that's when you then you do the bit about the reframing. Okay, what would be a more helpful way of looking at this? What what's actually going on? You know, what if you flip it? You know, we talked about flip it quite a lot. So discovering more helpful stories. And then the third part is enriching the plot. So once you've moved from the truth that's unhelpful to the reality that is helpful, how do you then make that your truth? How do you give it legs? And you can use this in conflict management. He gives a really good example of two women who work together and they just they just didn't get on. One was introvert, one was extrovert, one was younger, one was older. Uh, and it was wrecking the whole team because this animosity and this sort of prickliness. But he worked with them as individuals, stripped it right back. OK, what do you think the situation is here? And the one says, well, she's this, 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 this and this. And then the other one says, well, she's this, 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 this and this. So actually, well, OK. It, and they changed the story from, I think, the princess and the ogre um, to the 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 two people who were were misunderstood or something and that they re reframed the story then they took it back into the team and they said right okay how can we stop reinforcing that whole you know Anna Mary don't get on Anna Mary don't get on Anna Mary can get on if they just choose to understand one another a bit better so it's it's easy to follow and he applies that through different scenarios it's really good it's nice to know, um, you know, giving real life examples that he's used and that have worked yeah. as well. That's nice yeah. to know. And generous to share. You know, sometimes people keep things very close to their chest, don't they? And they don't they don't say, look, here, here's something that you can use. And this is how I've used it. Go and sell it to your clients. You know, that's that's, yeah. that's a very generous way of thinking, I think. So, um, yeah, so that is by Andrew Scott shifting stories was there anything else on his website that caught your eye tracy i yes i reckon there was you could tell from the look (laughs) on my face can't you i went down a little bit of a rabbit hole and i think it's an area um that we need to discuss at some point in the show a topical discussion so he he did a quick review of a book called with the end in mind dying death and wisdom in an age of denial by Catherine mannix and uh, he highly recommended it, even though he hadn't actually finished reading the book yet. So I did a little bit of delving into what that book was about. And it so, it captured my imagination because something that's been um, 
sort of in my peripheral vision for a few months is the disruption of the death industry. I can't think of a better way to put it. The industry of dying. Okay. And there's a number of interesting companies and in um, the, the industry changing a little bit with the way that it, they approach um, the, um, the funeral business and and preparations and, and dealing with everything associated with it. So it, it sort of sparked me to think that maybe we could have a topical discussion about it. I did actually go and buy, I didn't buy that particular book, but I bought a book that has been on my wish list for a little while. Um, it's called Die Wise. Oh, crikey, um, okay. <laughs> and nice I, black cover. Yeah, well, it's no, it's a, um, you probably can't see over Zoom, I'm afraid. But it's a starry sky with a shooting oh. star. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not so dark. Um, but it's just, um, it's an interesting topic. It's it's often taboo, but something I've, I've been interested in, like I say, for a little while. And things like death cafes that are springing up and different um ways of having services which obviously at the moment with the pandemic and all the restrictions people are starting to think of different ways to deal with funerals and uh, different burial methods and and so yes so this is my request to you Heather prompted by you suggesting we talk about shifting stories perhaps we could talk about the the funeral industry at some point if that would be okay with you Yes, of course. Yeah, I think that would be quite interesting. Yeah. So that was quite an interesting rabbit hole I went down there, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't see that coming. I have to say, <laughs> it was a, a bit of a curveball. But you know, you're listening to the business community, and our profile this week is sort of, um, sort of double edged. Really, we're, we're profiling a gentleman who has spent his entire career it seems profiling researching writing about another gentleman so um i've heard of peter drucker before um it, it would be hard to um have been involved in business and not have heard about the management consultant that is peter drucker but heather last week you introduced me to the name of a gentleman who completely blew my mind he lives just down the road from well from you virtually around the corner from you I would say and uh, he's like I say he spent his whole career researching this, this um, Peter Drucker so tell me how you got to hear about Peter Starbuck. Peter Starbuck I first met him um, at a chamber of commerce an Oswald Street chamber of commerce event quite a few years ago and he was talking he was a guest speaker and he was talking about Peter Drucker um, and incidentally, we talked about Peter Drucker on our first ever show. Wow, I thought it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, it was episode one, the 4th of January 2018. OK, so he's so Peter Drucker has been there in the background all the way through all of this. Anyway, as you say, Peter Starbuck um, has written, he, he wrote his thesis on it. He's he's he, he's advised. He. he He's he's just the most well-read person on the work of Peter Drucker. Um, and he has written an updated paper. And that's why he, he sort of came to the sur surface. He's during lockdown, he's written a 52 page study called The Concept of Leadership. 
and it's aimed at executives and managers and has found a global readership going down particularly well in China. Um, he, he's an interesting guy anyway, because yes, he's um, he was 84 years of age and still writing. In fact, I saw him, I was going into a pub and he was coming out of a pub um, a few weeks ago, presumably celebrating the publication of this um, this document. And the document is um, is lodged at University Centre Shrewsbury, of which he is a founding professor. Uh, just, yeah, he's a really interesting guy. But, but we were just talking about um, the name Starbuck, which is quite unique, isn't it? It is rather. I mean, I can't think of anybody else that's got the name Starbuck <laughs> apart from that well-known uh, coffee shop. And I'm surprised that that well-known coffee shop hasn't sent um, Peter Starbuck a cease and desist letter to stop using their name. <laughs> well, what's really interesting is if you go to his website, um, he's actually got the history of Starbucks on his website. It's almost as though, because um, the Starbucks is named after a character in Moby Dick or something, I don't know. But so he's obviously been asked this question so many times that he's just written this full historical document about Starbucks. It's amazing. And to be fair, if somebody is doing a Google search for Starbucks, if they come across his website because he's got the history of Starbucks on there, then um, it, it, it's getting more traffic to his website, isn't it? So fair yeah, news to him. Yeah, absolutely. And I, was, I need to correct myself as well, because I said he dedicated his, his career to researching Peter Drucker. It would appear that he's done it in his part time, in his spare time, because he's actually a qualified quantity surveyor by trade. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. he um, he built up a Shropshire based construction um, business called WSJ. And anybody who's lived anywhere in or around Shropshire will have seen their um, their their vehicles all over the place. Um, they've built schools, hospitals, homes, they're award-winning. He has been an advisor to 10 Downing Street on affordable homes. He was a director of a Rekin, Trust, a Rekin Housing Trust, which is a housing association. Um, yeah, he, he, is, he is well um, respected in that area. But yeah, he's retired now. Um, and you know, still clearly is still a big Peter Drucker fan. I, I mean, how, how many people um, do you become aware of? So this was in 1974, he became aware of Peter Drucker. So um, he was born in 1936. And he's, he's held that interest since 1974. Mm. Now that mm. either says a massive amount about Peter Drucker or about... Um, Peter Starbuck, maybe it says a lot about both of them. Um, presumably, there is there is more substance to Peter Drucker than we gave him credit for in our very first show of the business community. Yeah, I mean, I mean, clearly we couldn't have done him. We couldn't do him credit in fifteen minutes, ten or fifteen no. minutes. If you know, we've got years and years and years of um, of. Uh, research that he's been doing but I, I guess there may be a slight element of obsession I don't know you know maybe he's applied a lot of the learnings and that's helped him to be successful in his 
um, in his working career. I don't know. I would also say that if you are studying business, then there is probably no better place to go, maybe apart from the source material, or maybe it is better than the source material because he's doing the analysis for you, mm. than, than to go mm. to actually um, Peter Starbuck's writing on Peter Drucker. It's all there for you, isn't it? There is the analysis and, and the research that you could only dream of being able to do yourself. Yeah, and I it, we've mentioned that it obviously started young because his thesis was um, was on the European influences uh, um, that Drucker's had, and it's filed at the British Library, and it's the only one to be written on that subject in the UK. So it's quite niche, um, and he then moved on to work with the Open University Business School and produced a profile of 60 prominent management thinkers. So management is his thing. And clearly he started that knowledge with Drucker and, and uh, has just carried it forward. Uh, yeah. We started off thinking that we would mostly be talking about Drucker, but actually I think we've learned that Peter Starbuck is a pretty impressive individual. Yeah, I think anyway. he's very well deserving of his uh, solo spot in the profile section of this show, Heather. Thank you for introducing me to him. You're very welcome. You're, you're very welcome. So I guess that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, please do join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.